0: As we focus in a little bit more on this morning's story, in fairness to Moses, uh, I think we should remind ourselves that Moses never wanted anything to do with confronting Pharaoh. He tried numerous times to get out of it, but God kept pressuring Moses, and finally Moses agreed. And sure enough, the encounter didn't go well. When God first told Moses what God wanted him to do, Moses had asked the question, who am I to confront Pharaoh? Well, Pharaoh does Moses one better. Pharaoh asks in verse two, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? He has a point. Uh, Moses even introduced God as the God of Israel. Pharaoh's not Israeli. Um, And as Moses expected, Pharaoh then says, "Uh, I don't know this Lord that you're talking about, this God of Israel, and I will not let Israel go. But then it gets even worse, as we heard in verses six and seven uh, when Pharaoh said on that same day gives the order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. Uh, For those of us who are urbanites and maybe uh, not as familiar with the ways of the land. Douglas Stewart explains that straw is preserved uh, plant stalks, the, the long ones, from grains and vegetables. The straw uh, comes from those that are harvested and the stalks that are inedible to either humans or animals are saved and gathered together in, uh, in usually in bundles and then given for this work of supporting the strength and stability of the bricks. The stubble is the very short remaining stalks of plants after harvesting, the bit between the root and where the scythe or the sickle cut the plant. And it was a very poor substitute for straw, making the process of producing suitable bricks much harder and also just in and of itself being harder to gather. Uh, So that's what the pharaoh has now made it the charge of Israelites to, to make brick from. It's a completely spiteful act from the pharaoh. And then he adds insult to injury by saying that The quota, require them to gather their own straw and require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. We know that Moses was expecting Pharaoh to resist, but we don't know if Moses expected such an evil retribution from Pharaoh. Certainly the majority of the Israelites weren't expecting this. I mean, previously we had read that they had believed Moses and Aaron, that uh, Moses had been sent by God to lead them out of slavery from Egypt. But at the end of this story today, we hear the Israelite foreman Say to Moses and Aaron, who were waiting to meet them after being with Pharaoh, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Clearly, the Israelite foremen are blaming Moses and Aaron for making things worse. I will admit that there is a part of me that thinks along this same line, sort of the, uh, what did Moses and Aaron expect from a person like Pharaoh? There have always been people like Pharaoh, and there still are people in power who are mean-spirited. They make life miserable for others, and then when their authority gets challenged, they strike back Vindictively. And there are almost always those who receive the brunt of that vindictiveness who blame the ones who, in their own minds, stirred things up. If you just hadn't said anything, it would have been okay. But morally and ethically, Pharaoh is entirely responsible for the actions that he takes. When Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh that that first time and say, our God says, let the people go, let us go. In that moment, Pharaoh makes a choice. He could have said, let's talk about this. He could have said, okay, sure, You can go. He could have. It's a choice. He could even have said what he said. I don't know your God, so no. I'm not going to let the Israelites go. And left it at that. But not only did he choose to say, no, I'm not going to let you go. He consciously chose to add additional cruelty to their lives. Then again, when the Israeli foremen come to complain about the added difficulty, in that moment, Pharaoh makes a choice for which he is entirely responsible. Again, he could have said, wow, you're right. That was really mean of me to take the straw away from you. Well, we'll at least go back to how cruel it was before and leave it at that. But again, he consciously chose to reaffirm his additional evil. No straw, and you have to make the same number of bricks. Even if Moses and Aaron had had an inkling that Pharaoh might react in the way that he did, Pharaoh is the one responsible for the cruel abuse of the Israelis. Israelites. The Israelites. It is not Moses and Aaron who have put a sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill the slaves. Pharaoh has consciously picked up the sword on his own. This story revealed a pattern in this world that continues to this day. There are essentially two visions for human beings. One is the way of Pharaoh. Exploitation, use of force, hoarding of wealth, oligarchs and autocrats, the systemic oppression of justice and universal well-being. The way of Pharaoh. The other way is the way of God. Service, use of kindness, sharing of wealth. Servant leaders, systemic protection of equal rights and universal well-being. In our story for this morning, Pharaoh is very much representative of oligarchs and autocrats throughout history and into this present moment. Here are several assessments along those lines. This one from Walter Brueggemann it is unmistakably clear that obedience to Pharaoh singularly concerns endless productivity. In chapter 5, the one we're in, the zeal for the production of more bricks is all-pervasive, and the purpose of such brick-making is in order to build more granaries and storehouses in order that Pharaoh may store and protect and maintain his economic monopoly. Obedience to Pharaoh is the endless assignment of production. Terence Freedom adds The Pharaoh has all the astuteness of the experienced oppressor. His, he uses uh, ironically, I don't know, intended or not, his pyramidal scheme, being Egyptian. This pyramidal system whereby the few benefit from the labor of the many. Any sign of resistance occasions a tightening of the grip. The oppressed must learn that their well-being supposedly depends exclusively on Pharaoh's goodwill. Don't mess with the system. Get them thinking that things could never be better than they are he goes on to cite the the words that pharaoh uses first in verse 8 require them to make the same number of bricks as before don't reduce the quota they're lazy that's the problem that's why they're crying out let us go and sacrifice to our god make the work harder for the men so that they keep working don't complain essentially don't pay attention to what moses and aaron are trying to say to them which to pharaoh are lies and then again in verse uh 17 pharaoh said lazy that's what you are lazy that's why you keep saying let's go and sacrifice to the lord freedom points out those verses and then says the charge from pharaoh that this request comes because the people are lazy is typical of oppressors. The people are actually not oppressed, according to the oppressors. They are inherently lazy and resort to the charge of oppression so that they do not have to work so hard. The point is to transfer the problem from the oppressor onto the oppressed by ascribing to the oppressed a character flaw. Uh, One is then relieved of any burden of responsibility for their fate, or the problem is ascribed to a faulty work ethic. Their values regarding work are obviously not what they ought to be. One more from uh, Gerald Jensen. He adds that those in power like Pharaoh use their imaginations not to find solutions that would embrace the welfare of all parties, but to preserve and enforce the arrangements already in place to their own benefit. They don't do so again in a top-down fashion, working with what some have termed a dominance hierarchy. They put pressure on those immediately beneath them to put pressure on those on the bottom to produce. In this way, the middle managers are made to do the dirty work and avoid being punished from above. He gives the example of a local retailer, retail manager who may be asked to maintain previous sales levels with a significantly reduced budget for staff salaries. Um, finally, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. once wrote, the pharaohs had a favorite and effective strategy to keep their slaves in bondage. Keep them fighting among themselves. The divide and conquer technique has been a potent weapon in the arsenal of oppression. And You see the Israelite foreman attacking Moses and Aaron. Uh, I just ran across this again. It comes up every now and then on Twitter these days, which is a, a modern a day, up to date version of this. It goes, the problem with this country is people who make $700 an hour have convinced people who make $25 an hour that people who make seven twenty-five dollars an hour are the problem. So into this oppressive evil, Moses and Aaron arrive and declare God's vision for human beings is not Pharaoh's. They relay to Pharaoh that God commands Pharaoh to let the slaves go free so that they can live life the way God wants them to live it. Gerald Jensen puts it this way. Pharaoh charges Moses and Aaron with wanting the people to stop working. Literally, he says... You want the people to rest, Shabbat, from their burdens. The reader familiar with the Sabbath theme in Genesis 1 and 2 or Exodus 16 and 20 will appreciate the irony. What Pharaoh sees only in negative terms as a work stoppage would, in fact, be true to how God works and rests and would have us work and rest. But Pharaoh can see reality only as he defines it. So for him, the words of Moses and Aaron are lies. Walter Rugeman points out the big picture. The command to let the slaves go free continues to echo through all exploitative circumstances. A declaration concerning this God who will be present. This is the God who turns out to be Creator of heaven and earth, and the Lord of the nations, who has willed the emancipation of slaves and has declared opposition to all sociological arrangements that subjugate some and to all economic arrangements that depend on cheap labor. It is a command that lies behind every political revolution that has marked the modern world. In France, the United States, Russia, China. Because of Yahweh's command, history is decisively bent toward freedom and the bondage to live in hope of a new impossible possibility. The exodus is the moment of establishing Yahweh's alternative governance in the world, a governance that will displace the exploitative regime of Pharaoh and all exploitative regimes that follow after. Such a transfer of loyalty makes dear the theological makes clear that the theological switch from Pharaoh to Yahweh concerns socioeconomic practice. Yahweh who hears the cries of the oppressed from the outset is not content to be a god religiously celebrated only. This God has a will and a purpose for the ordering of the public community. With all of that in mind, it should be easy to see that Moses and Aaron are not the enemies in this story. But they take the brunt of the people's anger. I see that happening at times in our society today. People being blamed for stirring things up or making things worse, while those who are truly to blame for the misery of the many are not held to account. There are two visions for human beings in our world, the way of Pharaoh and the way of God. God's vision for the world is that all human beings would not only be cared for, but would be loved. The true enemies are any human beings who consciously hinder that vision. No victim ever puts the sword or the whip or the noose into the hands of the oppressor. Those who exploit or abuse or oppress the vulnerable make choices for which they are responsible. As God, excuse me, as God's people, (laughs) as God's people, our work is to call out those opposing God's vision of love and care for all human beings and do whatever we are able to do for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.